Welcome to A Better Way podcast, dedicated to mompreneurs who want to do good and feel good at work, at home, and in life. We're your hosts, Courtney and Danielle, and we get the challenges you're facing because we're living them too. We'll share tangible tips we've learned along the way to help make your life a little easier and we hope a lot more fun. We'll also chat with other moms who are making it happen so we can learn from one another because together we can find a better way. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of A Better Way Podcast. Today, um, your episode is going to focus solely on me and Danielle and a book that we read. So hi, Danielle. Hey there. We thought it would be really fun to do a book review. So a few weeks ago, Danielle and I were chatting about books we were reading. And actually, I think this may have come out of the episode where you coached me. And afterwards, Danielle texted me and said, you really need to read The Four Agreements, which is by Don Miguel Ruiz. And she's like, it's a super quick read. And I order something from Amazon like every other day. So I added it to my cart and it came and it was a super read, super quick read. I actually finished it last night and it was really good. And knowing Danielle had read it too and had recommended it, we thought it would be really helpful um, just to do a quick you know, chat about what we thought was really powerful in this book um, in case it interests any of you, because I think some of the lessons can apply to life in general and also to your business. So um, Danielle, how did you find this book? Yeah. So I actually, I took my son to the library for the very first time recently. Libraries? What are those? I know, right? And I was looking at, we were looking at his books. And then um, as I was walking out, they have this whole section of popular books and they have a lot of copies of them. Um, I think their intention is that book club, like these are books that a lot of book clubs use um, because I I think there might be book clubs um, as a part of my library, but I'm not sure. But also fun fact I'm on the board of a like newcomers committee in my town and I am running our book club this year, which I am think is kind of funny because I'm like, how am I going to fit this in a, um, but thankfully like I do read all the time. So I'm just going to use the books that I, I get to pick the books. So I'm just going to use the books that I read and find helpful. Um, and I actually think I'm going to use this as the September book. Um, but that was just a, a side note. Um, I just saw it at the library and thought it might be interesting. And my mom had mentioned reading it. I'd also seen it in like a business book club Facebook group that I'm in. Um, so I'd sort of seen it in a lot of places and thought maybe I should read this. Yeah. I That's so interesting to me because like, you know, the saying like, don't judge a book by its cover. I judge all the books by their covers. That's why I think why I love Untamed so much because it's such a beautiful book cover. Um, yeah. and I, this one wouldn't have stood out to me unless you said something. And so I'm really glad that you found it. Um, so for people who are listening, a little bit of background on this. It's a pretty, I, I don't know that I would call it a self-help book because it's not self-help in like the Rachel Hollis sense, but it's more about just agreements to keep with yourself personally to lead you through life. Um, and it's based in ancient like Toltec wisdom, which is Toltec is essentially a tribe or community of people from, I think it's Mexico, um, yep. who it's sort had, of like the Aztecs. Like, yeah. Not the Aztecs, but 
<laughs> Obviously, people know the Aztecs, but don't know the Taltecs. So, yeah, if anybody's out there and is an expert in that, you can feel free to correct us, but it's the same general gist. And um, this author kind of like surfaced these four agreements that were ways that this community or tribe lived by um, and that have kind of fallen by the wayside in today's modern culture. But he has kind of reignited those in his life and found success with it and in kind of elevating it for everyone else. And something that I find really interesting about this concept before we jump into what those four agreements are is I'm finding that this like, there's a theme of ancestral ways and like going back to our roots and mm -hmm. there's so much simplicity in that. So one of the clients, one of my clients is um, Pluck, which is an organ-based seasoning. And a big thing that our brand is about is um, ancestral ways of eating and how we can actually restore our health mental health, emotional health, physical health by going back to our roots and eating what our ancestors ate in the way we ate. And same with like farming, regenerative farming. Um, some of those are obviously modern practices, but some are going back to like the ancient ways of doing things. And to me, this is so interesting because I often feel like we've gotten so out of touch with who we are as a society or as people with like digital connection and everything that this book was just one more pillar in like a theme of discussions I've had and have seen about like, let's just strip all this away and go back to the basics and we can be a lot healthier and happier. Um, so I found that really interesting. Um, Danielle, do you wanna talk a little bit about what your favorite part of the book was or like, should we walk them through the four agreements first? Yeah, so, and I wanna talk about the first one. Um, which is like, what is the exact language? It's sort of like question what you've been taught, but what, yeah, it what says, be impeccable with your word, speak with integrity, say only what you mean, avoid using the word to speak against yourself or to gossip about others. Use the power of your word in the direction of truth and love. So be impeccable with your word is the first agreement. Oh, but before that, they talk about how we are like socialized in a certain way. Right. I guess it's not one of the actual. Yes. They talk about like domestication in the dream of the planet and how right. we're like domesticated in a yeah. way that is not allowing us to tap into these truths or these agreements. Right. Exactly. And sorry, I don't have the book in front of me because I've returned <laughs> to the library. Um, but I, I love this concept because there's so much, because it, it, it flows into what I do with picky eating so well. Um, there's so many rules at the dinner table, right? Like when you think about dinner time etiquette and um, utensils and what, what utensil you use for what, like all of this stuff is like essentially made up rules that like humans have made up. And now like, if you go to, a, you should know these things because if you go to a business luncheon, you want to conform to, um, societal norms, right. So that you don't stand out or offend someone. Right. right. So like, for example, Danielle and I, as DEX officers, um, part of DECA, do you remember having to go, we yeah. had to sit down and get formal training on like how to be seated at a table, how to eat from the outside in with your silverware, what to do with your napkin. It was like very old school. It was almost like, um, what's that type of school for like women who learn how to be women and you like walk with a book on your head. Yeah. 
Um, flashback. And so I think like when our kids start to eat, right, we start to teach them some of this stuff, right? Like we're like, use your utensils. And, and if they, if they spill something, we say, you know, because like, we're so, we're so socialized to think that like messes and spills, like all of that stuff is bad. And it is the opposite of what you need to be doing, especially if you're dealing with a picky eater, but also to try to mitigate picky eating in the first place, because what we do to children is we make eating not fun. We tell them like, you need to sit here. You need to put your feet on the ground. You need to eat with your utensils. You need to not spill anything. Oh, don't get it on your shirt. Let me put a bib on you. Like we, we, we put all these rules in place around eating to the point where kids are like, it's way more fun to play with my trucks. Like I'm not coming to that table. I know I'm going to have to follow a bunch of rules. Right. And, and he talks, the author talks about how we reward them for doing the right thing and punish them when they do the wrong thing. And it's so we're the ultimate point is that we are given a set of rules as children And we are taught that that is what you do. And not only that, but that that teaching is reinforced with punishment or reward. Mm -hmm. And so I think this like really plays into the first, the first agreement, which is like being impeccable with your word, but like decide for yourself, right? Like you don't question things and don't, you know, if you hate forks, just like totally making this up. But like, if you hate forks, if you're like, you know what? I like to eat my chicken nuggets with a spoon, right? Like if that's your thing, like I'm not talking like question, like whether or not you need to wear a seatbelt, right? Like we're not talking about stuff like that, like safety things or like medical things. We're talking like, we're just talking like societal norms, like college like we talk about this a lot on this podcast right like you go to school you get good grades you go to college like that's what we thought the right path was and and like the path that we needed to take and not everyone needs to go to college there's so much online learning there's trades that are you can't get an electrician to come to your house if you were willing to pay double these days right so Mm -hmm. it's like there's societal norms and like you need to decide for yourself versus do what everyone else wants you to do and what you are socialized to believe. Yes. And actually playing into the college and then getting a traditional nine to five. So, so many of our listeners are thinking about they're either in a traditional nine to five and looking to leave, or they have made that leap being in another company. So being an employee somewhere Typically, I'm going to make a generalization that the larger the company, the bigger that this is a factor, but company culture is the same way. It's conditioning you to act a certain way. And I think that when you are part of a large team or a large company, it can stifle your ability to understand what's natural for you, what's going to allow you to do the best work. So I remember being at an agency in Boston and I was very young and someone said, you know, your job is to make your boss look good. And in retrospect, my thought was, well, no, my job is 
to do good work. I should be doing good work to move whatever our mission is forward. But I think that so often culturally in companies and what makes us not enjoy being in those more traditional environments is that we are stifled and that we're just playing a set of rules or a set of games that someone else gives us in order to stay in line, to not cause a ruckus, to get our promotions, to get our bonuses. Um, Because if gosh forbid, we went against the grain or did something that was more natural or intuitive to us, or we think might be a better way. um, So often people aren't rewarded, but they are punished for that. And I think Mm -hmm. that the interesting thing is that going into entrepreneurship is the total opposite. There are no rules. You're figuring it out for yourself. And it's really uncomfortable because we've been so conditioned to expect someone to tell us what to do all the time. And now yeah. all of a sudden we have to be the one to tell ourselves what to do and what is the right thing. So it's both freeing, but it's also scary because I think, I don't know about you, Danielle, but it's like the first time in my life I've really been given that space to do it and it's responsibility, but it's also freeing. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's all your decisions, right? Like Mm -hmm. no one's telling you what to do. Of course, there's people like there's courses you can take or whatever, and you're able to, um, you know, get advice, but Mm -hmm. ultimately you're the one who has to make the decision for your business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the first agreement, be impeccable with your word. Um, Something that I find interesting about that is, you know, transitioning into entrepreneurship or even like parenting. It's so easy. In my role as a business owner, I want to make sure that I'm continuing to make my clients happy and I'm serving them. And oftentimes that means I put pressure on myself to say something right away or to respond right away, even though I'd be better served pausing and taking some time to really think about it so that I can, I will always be impeccable with my word and that I will always deliver. Um, But I oftentimes will feel resentment because I didn't give myself that time and space. And similar to being a parent, like I often respond in the moment, um, And it's not when we talk about being impeccable and coming at it from truth and love, I think that it's really hard to come at things from truth and love when you're reacting to things quickly. And I I notice that as a parent too, like I get frustrated very easily. Something that this book has taught me is that giving yourself some time and not having to react right away um, is one of the ways that you can be more impeccable with your word. Also, something that I find interesting is it's not so much how I react to other people that this agreement resonated with me, but it's how I use the word against myself or for myself. It's like, if I feel like I don't have enough time and I tell myself, I'm never going to have enough time to do this today. Well, then I'm never going to have enough time. But if I tell Mm -hmm. myself I have time to do one thing today, um, a more neutral comment, then I will have more time. And so that was eye-opening to me is the impeccable with your word is not just for other people, but it's also about yourself and mm-hmm. the stories you tell yourself or the lies you tell yourself or the ways you build yourself up. Um, and I think the same can be true for our kids and what we tell them. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, actually total, I was reading when we were coming back from vacation in June um, I was sitting by myself and I had like no devices. I, all I had was this like super old iPad and it had a Kindle on it. And Kyle, my husband had some books on it. And one of them was about parenting and it, this is just like a short aside, but it was about the fact that like, if you tell your kids, like you're so smart, you're smart. Like if you give them praise all the time with like nothing behind it, 
no like concrete examples, meaning like, like if they put on their shoes themselves, you can say, I love how you figured out how to put on your shoes. You tried really hard and you put, up, you put on your shoes. That's good. But if you say to your kid, you're so smart, I'm so proud of you, you're so smart, telling them that they're like per- perfect all the time actually does the opposite of what you want it to do because um, then they believe that they have this like innate um, smartness and that they don't have to try. And so when they don't know how to do something right away, they start to feel like they're going to, they're a failure and like they're going to disappoint their parents. Um, So I thought that was like a super interesting thing. And it just points back to his point, which is like the stories we tell ourselves matter. The words that we use matter. And in parenting and business, like you've got to tell yourself the right thing so that you can really succeed, right? Like it's, it's so, so important and it's way underrated. Yeah, I agree. And sometimes that means having to tell yourself the truth, which isn't always good. So at first I was thinking about how, you know, that saying, like, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. It's kind of like that came to me at first, but then I was like, but then the other flip side of it is sometimes you need to be truthful with people. And that means like, you're not doing them any benefits or you're not doing yourself a benefit. If you continue to tell a lie that is, um, like overly positive, like just being honest, you will be able to respect yourself and other people will be able to respect you more. And I think that that's really important in business because I feel like impeccable with your words. I think some people think, okay, they're going to like uphold their deadlines or they're going to do everything they said. But I think also impeccable with your word means being clear. Being clear is important for yourself as a business owner to make sure that you're growing your business in a way that you are, it's in alignment and it's where you want to go. Being impeccable with your word means that you are being fair to your employees or your contractors and that you are someone who is, you know, you can work easily with, like you'll know what works and what doesn't. And then being clear with your clients or your customers, that's key to marketing and branding too. So I think that, you know, being impeccable with your word takes on so many different forms. But at the end of the day, my lesson from that was like, take a deep breath, don't respond right away. And whatever you say, mean it because your words have power, whether you're talking to yourself, you're talking to one other person, or you're talking to a hundred other people. Um, mm-hmm. The second agreement is actually my favorite and it's don't take anything personally. And I'm pretty sure that Danielle recommended this book for this reason, because I'm such a people pleaser, but it's really hard not to take things personally. And when you stop to think about the amount of times you take things personally in a given day, even like a glance from your spouse or, you know, um, a comment from your sister or an email that you can't quite read the tone from a coworker and like a client, like there's so many times that we, which leads into the third agreement, which is don't make assumptions, but when we make assumptions, we automatically take things personally. And we think that the world revolves around us when really we're such one small part of it. And likely nothing that happens has 
anything to do with us. And if it does, it's still not a big deal. It's not life or death. So I thought that this one was really interesting because at the end of the day, it's your life, it's your mind, it's your thoughts. So if you are content with it, then whatever is going on around you doesn't matter. And that's something I want to instill in my kids, but I have to instill it in myself first. Yep. And I'm still working on it. This one I loved. I used this one the other day because um, somebody posted in a Facebook group that I'm in, like women in marketing, or I don't know, one of the Facebook groups I'm in. And she took a screenshot of her client correcting her spelling. And her client said, don't you use an app that would catch this? And she was like, I can't believe my client said this. Like, should I fire my client? Blah, 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 whatever. Now I'm taking this one snippet in a vacuum, right? Like, I don't know what her relationship is with the client normally, whatever. But, you know, a lot of people were feeding into it and they were like, oh my gosh, I would be so mad if somebody said that to me. And I was like, hey, you can't really read tone over written word. What if she is genuinely curious? Like, what if like in her mind, she's she's not insulting you. She's just like, that's so weird. Like on my computer, it picks that up. I'm genuinely curious why this isn't working, right? And I was like, honestly, I always, like I try to make a habit it's super hard, especially more in personal situations for me than in work situations. But I make, I try to make a habit of assuming that, that that's what the person meant and moving on, right? Like if you just choose, instead of choosing to assume that she was trying to insult you and your intelligence, choose to assume. It's literally the same. It takes that same amount of energy. It takes the, it the same thing. Choose to assume that she truly was just curious. And I mean, what's the difference? It's true. It also, when you put it that way, like it makes you more responsible with how you react to other people too. Like it's not only how they treat you, but how you react to those situations. I do that a lot. Like in the moment, I'm not good about it, but in hindsight, it can be like, oh, I should have handled that differently because that person probably thinks like X, Y, Z or that I... I'm mad at them or something happened. Um, But it's also freeing. Like the fact that like nobody does anything because of you, it's always because of them. It's also freeing. Um, And I, I do like that. Right. Like if she did mean it in a condescending way, well, then she's not a nice person, but that has to do with her, not you. Exactly. Exactly. And you wasting that time worrying about it is taking you away from something else that could be a more positive or fulfilling experience. And I think what this goes back to is too, is choices. Like we always think we don't have a choice, but I'm learning, like we always have a choice. Mm -hmm. Anything you don't like, you can change. Sure. You might not be able to change your financial situation right now, but you can change your mindset around it. Um, You can change the way that you structure and use your finances. You may not be able to change a relationship that you're in right now um, for whatever reason, but you can change the way that you approach it or the way that you communicate with someone and how you show up every day is a choice. And what I find interesting about this book and going back to like breaking it down and like going back to the basics is so 
I've been chatting a lot with friends. Actually, Danielle, you and I had a conversation with some friends um, a few weeks ago on like a Zoom call, some girlfriends that we're, we're close with. And one of them said, like, I have no marriage. I have no fun. I don't have any friends. Meaning what she meant by this is like, basically, I wake up every day. I do my workout. I take care of my kids. I do my work, feed my kids dinner, put them to bed, and I go back and do more work. And my husband does the same thing. And we're all on this hamster wheel. And I feel like these agreements that are being talked about in this book are so simple and it makes sense when you read it, but our life is not designed to allow us to implement this at a very basic level. Um, we're right. on social media all day. We're always connected to our devices. Like there's no time to sit and be still and think about this. And while these seem so clear, they're clouded by the distractions and what is bombarding us every single day. And to me, I feel like there's got to be a bubble that bursts at some point. Like we as a society and we as like a species can't continue like this. It's like a housing bubble burst. Like when is this digital bubble or this like connected bubble going to burst? Because there's no rest. There's no alone time. I don't know. I don't know what the answer to it is, but that's just reminding me about like, we're so connected to people that we get their energy all day. And at some point I think that it's not going to be sustainable and I don't know what's going to be that change, but maybe Danielle and I can inspire some of that. <laughs> All right. Agreement number three. Don't make assumptions. You want me to read the description with us when it says no, that's kind of like what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, I said it leads into it. Remember we were talking about like, yeah, agreement <laughs> two. don't take anything personally leads into agreement three, which is don't make assumptions. I feel like we kind of covered that. Yeah, so I do. they kind of go together. So agreement number four is always do your best. And what I love about this is that the guy, well, the author, excuse me, um, he admits he's like, I don't do a perfect job in this. And he says, like, you're not going to do a perfect job, but the only thing you can do is do your best. And he has this concept of if you do too much, you're going to burn yourself out. If you do too little, you're not doing your part in terms of the larger society um, and how you're showing up as yourself. And so there's like this Goldilocks moment, right? Of like, not too hot, not too cold, not too much, not too little. If every day you just show up and you say, I'm just gonna do my best, that's enough. So whether or not some days it's you not making assumptions is gonna come more freely than others, that's okay. It's a matter of just being cognizant of it. And if you show up to do your best, you're gonna be able to go to bed at night thinking I did my best. It was a good day. And you're going to be able to kind of keep that even keel um, and then start again the next day. Um, so I like yeah. that because sometimes these books can be really preachy and that to me brought it together. And it was like, no, just try these and see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I don't know. I always, I, I, I feel like this may be really naive but I feel like at least moms, let's not talk about society as a whole, right? But I think it could be related to society as a whole. Like everyone's doing their best, aren't they? Like from the outside, it might not look like somebody's doing their best, but you don't know like what their background is, what their intelligent, like brain capacity is, like, right? Like they're like, Everyone has a, the best for me looks different for, from the best for Courtney, mm -hmm. from the best for 
Courtney's husband. Like everyone's best looks different. And I think as a society, we spend way too much time like sort of judging people and thinking like, well, they don't do enough or like they don't, they're not doing, they're shirking responsibility. They're, they're not, um, I'm trying to like think of an example, but I think you guys can kind of like tell what I mean, which is like, we spend a lot of time judging what is someone else's best. And at the end of the day, like whether or not somebody's doing their best is, is not something I can know from the outside. Mm-hmm. And I guess I just really believe that everyone is doing their best. Yeah. So take, for example, like Simone Biles, she obviously Ooh. this is going to air like after the Olympics and she withdrew from the team all around competition. And then she withdrew from like two or three of the, um, individual events. And then she came back to do the, um, Balance beam. Balance beam. Thank you. I was going to say uneven bars, but balance beam. And she did a great job. She won, I think it was bronze, right? She went on to win bronze. But you hear the commentators and they're like, oh yeah, that's not her best effort. It'll be good enough to get a medal, but it wasn't her best effort. And part of me is thinking, are you kidding me? What did she just go through? We found out that her aunt died while she was at the Olympics. We, the amount of pressure. You hear that part. Yeah. Um, She went through an first, the stress of having the stress she was under with, you know, the twisties and that mental state she was in, which was putting her in an unsafe position mentally and physically to go out and do her job. Essentially. Um, she then had to make the difficult decision to step away and put, you know, her team on the line to kind of step in and fill in for her. So that was another difficult decision. Then she goes off to try to take care of her mental health, but she has literally the whole world talking about her. And so she came back, did that balance beam, won a medal. That is freaking amazing. But just because at one point her best was at a different level, People are saying it's not her best when I think it's actually pretty freaking incredible what she did. And I don't think a lot of people would have the ability to do that. And so it's sad that in the society, we're always comparing other people either to the benchmark they previously slept for themselves or other people. And I think this actually ties back to what you were saying, you and Kyle chatting about, you know, chatting with kids and telling them you're, they're the best or you're perfect, or this is amazing. It's like, by always comparing them or always evaluating, it makes it really hard when your best, you are doing your best, but it's at a reduced level or output than you're used to, or then your sibling, or then the other person on your soccer team. And I think it's a really negative and toxic thing. That said, we all do it. I, I'm sure I do it all day, every day. And I wonder how we can continue to live and engage with other people while kind of also staying, I hate the term like staying in your swim lane, but it's kind of like that, like just focus on what you can do every day and how you can show up. Um, I just think that right now that's impossible to do in the world that we live in. And I don't know, I don't know how to change that. One is definitely limiting social media that has helped me. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, I think the others talking about what we would call failure, which isn't necessarily failure, And I think it's also embracing the idea of like rest or, you know, life isn't just about productivity. It's about life and enjoying life. 
And I think that that's something that's missed and that's being wrapped up in this overall comparison trap. And we always need to be doing our best every single day, which is just, it's literally not sustainable. Can't yep. happen. Well, you do need to do your best every single day, but the point yeah. is that that best may look different every day. Yes. Thank you for correcting me. <laughs> so, um, the criteria. And, and you know, like if you struggle that. with, like if you struggle with mental health issues, right, your best might look like a four hour nap mm-hmm. and getting out one piece of small piece of work, mm-hmm. right? Like it looks different for everyone. It looks different every day. Right. Mm-hmm. And who are we to say whether or not somebody else is doing their best? Right. This is, um, I find this very interesting. I think of it as like, I, it's applicable as a parent in like, I want my kids to do something a certain way, but I think so often we don't necessarily, I, I'm not always in tune with how they're feeling that day. It's just like, okay, every day we get up and we go to school. So we ex- assume it's going to be like, they're going to follow directions. They're going to do what they need to do, but every day is a different day and they may be showing up as their best. So same with my husband. Um, sometimes he can take the kids more for me. Sometimes I can take the kids more for him, but when he's not at what I would say his best, or he needs more help or support in an area, I get frustrated when I have to step back and be like, okay, he's got other outside forces that are making him stressed or anxious or overloaded. And how can I recognize that he's still doing his best, even if it annoys the hell out of me, because it means I have to pick up more slack. And then in business, so often we hire experts and then we try to control their output. And it's like, but you, okay, you're, everyone's doing their best. They're probably doing their best. Is it that I'm misinterpreting it or I'm not honoring that? Or do I even know what I'm talking about? And I think that gets to, I'm rambling now, but I think my key point is so often people judge other people on what is their best when they're not actually an expert in what they're judging people on. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and no, it's a problem. Yeah. If only we could fix all the problems of the world. I know. I feel like I just talked about a lot of problems and didn't give any solutions, but I do think that this book, Read the book. it's like People. a roadmap um, just to like, what are the you know three or four things that you can be conscious of in any aspect of life at any given moment? And I love how applicable this is to everybody. Um, in fact, I might actually give it to my husband, which by the way, he's been reading Atomic Habits, which you recommended to us. Oh yeah. It's really good. I have, I need to finish that one. Mm-hmm. I actually really liked it, but I didn't continue reading it because I don't really know why. I think something else must have come up. <laughs> so after he reads it, I'll read it. I have two other books on my nightstand that I ordered. One is Dying to Be a Good Mother, which I'm really interested. It's a woman who, she was an entrepreneur. She was working hard, also trying to like juggle her kids. She ends up getting cancer. Um, it's a real story. And um, looking back, it's how she's kind of changed how she embraces each day um, and how she has also let go of a lot of things, both mom guilt and then guilt as an entrepreneur to be able to live a more um, fulfilling life. So I want to read that one. And then I also, I've heard such great things about essentialism by Greg McEwen, I think. He wrote um, Effortless too, but essentialism is like how you strip down your life and simplify so that you can tune out the noise and only focus on what matters in your business, in your relationships. I think it's mostly business-based, but I'm really interested about that one because um, I'm an overcomplicator, so I need to read essentialism. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, that sounds good, actually. I'm reading, um, right now I'm reading, oh crap, potty training. Um, <laughs> and that one is a real. Riveting. <laughs> um, and I'm actually reading a fiction book um, called Adulting, something like that. Hmm. I don't know. My therapist told me that I need to read more fiction books because reading is something I do to rest. And I read a lot of nonfiction and she suggested reading a fiction book before bed instead of reading nonfiction. Um, so I'm reading this like really random book about a, an actress who has a drug problem and it's like, you know, totally, it's totally fiction. So I don't know. I used to go to a therapist like two years ago, a therapist recommended the same thing. He was like, I think you should take a break from like the self-help or self-improvement books. (laughs) And nonfiction, yeah. and I think you should start reading fiction books. And it's funny, he said before bed too. Um, so this weekend I was up in Maine and all my siblings were up there at my mom's house and we were talking about books and I mentioned Untamed by Glennon Doyle. And then there was one other that we were talking about and I was like, yeah, it's great. And everyone was like, do you only read self-help books? And I was like, yeah, basically that's what I like. And we were joking that like, I should get a refund because I just go from self-help book to self-help book. Clearly they're not working because if I was helping myself, I wouldn't need to jump from self-help book to self-help book. Um, I say that kidding. There've been very many good ones that I've read, um, but they're a little addicting to me because there's so many light bulb moments and I feel like, oh my gosh, someone like, I feel seen and heard in this, um, but I might try some fiction. So if that one's good, let me know. Yes, I will. Um, I have with Amazon Prime, you get like one free book a month and it was one of the free books. I just always pick one every month and then I hardly ever read them because they're not nonfiction. So I just like picked it from my Kindle. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I hope our listeners enjoyed this episode. Um, If you are interested in more book reviews, let us know. Jane, you'll have to keep us posted on how your newcomers book club is. And we will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to today's episode. For more information from today's chat, including how to reach us, head on over to the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the exciting episodes to come. And please, if you liked what you heard, be sure to leave a rating and review. It's how we can help other busy moms find their better way. Until next time, mom friends.